0: to sit there. The Doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Please demonstrate how this is accomplished. So, what's next? I don't know. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast, brought to you by Nerd and Tie and unnecessarily cruel drills. I'm Charlie Etheridge-Nunn. I'm a writer and a fan of Yakito Kishiro's manga, Battle Angel Alita.
1: Hi, and I'm Miles-Reed Lobato, a science fiction writer and a fan of the biopunk Japanese surreal horror film, Tetsuo the Iron Man, which also has unnecessarily cruel drills.
0: Slightly different drills? More, more literal ones, I'm guessing. Yeah, more, more phallic drills. Oh dear. So yes, um, each episode we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and we rank them on a big list of best to worst. And we both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom. So that makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. Now this episode, we're returning to a fan favourite villain – as suggested by last episode's guest star, Celeste. Yes, we're back to Borg. So yeah, the nice thing is we've kind of covered our experiences with the Borg. It's like, you know, there's, there's five men with a budget. We, we, we did this already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, before we go on, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke?
1: Well, mine is going to be not, some pop culture thing I have enjoyed in the last week. Um, but as, as regular listeners may know, um, I've spoken on it on many occasion that, uh, in the year 2021, which will forever be referred to as fucking cancer year. My wife, Rihanna battled breast cancer and won. And, but because of that, every year she gets a yearly mammogram and a yearly MRI for the next three to five years. And so this last week, she had her yearly mammogram. This will be her third since being declared a cancer survivor. And I am pleased to report that she is still cancer-free. Hashtag
0: fuck cancer. That's great to hear. And yeah, hopefully she'll keep kicking its ass.
1: Oh, yeah. And so, Charlie, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying this last week?
0: Yeah, so... Once again, like like you're helping a friend move. I feel like a bit of a dick just putting something, especially something as utterly, utterly lunatic as, uh, as I've been experiencing this past week. Finally, after ages of the theme tune composer, my brother Alfred recommending it to me. The manga Berserk. Berserk is awesome. Berserk is berserk. Berserk is like Berserk
1: is amazing. Out of curiosity, how far have you gotten into Berserk?
0: Twenty-two volumes. Okay, damn. So, yeah, so yeah. We, I'm, um, I've punched into and out of the Golden Age era.
1: Okay, I was, I was curious because. Yes. Um, I'm slowly working my way through Berserk. I used to say that I read Berserk when Game of Thrones just felt too tame. And yeah. Yeah. Um, But I need to get back to reading Berserk because I stopped... Last time I read it was a little bit after where you are now, which I think is at the point where... I, I think with Berserk, a lot of people tend to focus on, like, the hyper-violence and the hyper-just... Horrendousness of the world in which Berserk is set in the story and the grim, 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 grim dark. But yeah. I honestly find that Berserk is a story that you see some, you see, you meet Guts, who is not a good human being. But when you first meet him, he's probably at his lowest point. Mm. And then the story stops, goes on an, on an 18 volume, like just summing up this is how our character got to this
0: point and it oh, cut- it's, it's fantastic yeah, it,
1: for that and then it cuts back to guts being at his lowest point and basically I think you're around about the moment where he starts to kind of he starts to kind of realize this ain't healthy I need to pull myself out of this
0: yeah yeah he's definitely starting to get that feeling berserk is a bizarre dark fantasy series you've got initially this badass very conan coded kind of protagonist and as you say yeah it's this grim dark fallen ruined world and uh, a bleak feeling story and i love that it flashes back to his childhood his youth how he's kind of born from a corpse and all of these again it's it a lot of it initially felt very you can tell this is a very young, very edgy creator. Yeah. Um doing it. And you can feel the maturity develop with a lot of it. And even with some of the early stuff, realizing, oh, we're we're going to see how, you know, he's got one arm in the present day part of it. And all of these people that he meets, well, where are they? And um when you hit a kind of pivotal point in the story when an event that is foreshadowed um by a fucking like skeleton man on a horse which again fantastic it's like oh no none of this has happened yet yeah. oh god we're getting it all at once all <sighs> in one horrible horrible go just rip that plaster off it's um brutal and yeah it's been very good fun so far
1: it's I, i'm just gonna say this i think it's a good thing that this wasn't your non-Star Trek thing of last episode, because then Celeste loves Berserk, and so the episode would have been twice as long, and oh half no. of it, half <laughs> of it would have been purely about Berserk.
0: Yeah, understandable. My brother is uh, an insane Berserk enthusiast as well.
1: I I generally don't go in for like that grimy grim. I, I generally mm. don't go in for grimdark that takes itself. So that takes itself really seriously, but there is something about just the tone and the, the characters that makes it entertaining enough.
0: Well, and you've got some proper wacky demons, you know, some weird, weird things which help undercut it just being bleak for bleakness' sake. It's,
1: it's why I like the British author. Have you ever read any Joe Abercrombie?
0: Uh,. No, I have some, but I've yet to read it Like, he he does
1: really kind of that kind of dark fantasy But the thing is, he remembers that his characters are gonna, like, crack a smile and, like, just tell a joke In mm. between the awful stuff happening And I think it's that that kind of keeps the darkness It doesn't feel uh, like an emotional Sturm und Drang, if you know what yeah. I mean
0: Yes, there was a series, uh, Chronicles of Raven, which had that kind of, you know, this is a very, that's it, yeah, James Barclay's um, Chronicles of Raven, which felt very, like, shit, mud and blood-flecked fancy world. But these mercenaries, the main thing they want to do at the end of the day is just retire to peace and have a bar. And, you know, it's like it feels very human despite some Big high fantasy elements in there and the aforementioned mud, blood and shit that covers everything.
1: It's like one of the bits I like about the the Elric stories from one of my favorite writers, Michael Moorcock, in that Elric is a gigantic albino drama queen Hmm. and his best mate slash sidekick Moonglum knows it. And will quite happily make fun of bit of Elric when Elric is, is just being too wallowing in self-pity. And that just makes it it just makes it a bit more fun because you know you know that the, the people the orphan understands what his character's like and knows when to deflate it.
0: Yes. Yeah. So speaking of self-pity. It's time to talk about Star Trek and the <laughs> Borg, um, specifically, I guess a bit of Picard's self pity in this one with our first episode for night, and that is Star Trek: The Next Generation, season five, episode twenty three, titled "I Borg." It aired on the eleventh of May, nineteen ninety two, written by Renee Echevarria and directed by Robert Lederman. The UK number one hit was KWS with "Please Don't Go" slash Game Boy, and the US with Crisscross and Jump. So these are the only two in this this episode selection that I am familiar with. "Please Don't Go," it's fine. It feels very much like if you were flashing back to nineteen ninety two. This is what would be playing in the background. Yeah, and yeah, I mean. Crisscross is is dark, <laughs> but um, who doesn't want to be the Miggity 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 Mac Daddy? Is that the right amount of Miggity? Um,
1: I don't know. I, I prefer I prefer to be the Miggity 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 Miggity
0: Moo Mac Daddy. So, are you a Daddy Mac or a Mac Daddy?
1: <laughs> um, given the size of my gut, I'm a McDonald's. Oh no.
0: <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> So means we're both all right um yeah
1: and of course as punishment for my not doing the correct reading last episode i will be the scru- i will be narrating the events of two episodes of star trek one of which will be picard i'm yeah. not happy i'm not happy about this but i didn't do the reading this is substantial punishment
0: we can't save episodes of picard for one of us goofs <laughs> Look, i want to make... It's a punishment show.
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, I, I think if we have a breakup on the show, it's going to be which poor bastard has to narrate the plot of Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, no. But this is not a, oh, dear God, we don't want to do Star Trek Nemesis podcasts. This is a, oh, dear God, Mars is going to have to talk about Picard podcast. But anyway, I will have to narrate the events of iBorg. Borg. Yes. And start assimilating now. The Enterprise is doing some surveillance work on a nearby star system, which has been listed for potential colonization. And while they're there, they pick up a distress signal. Riker, Dr. Crusher, and Worf beam down to discover that the distress signal is actually from a crashed Borg scout ship with a collection of dead Borg. Charlie, quick joke for you. What do you call a collection of Borg? 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 A smorgasbord, ah! Oh. And but there is one lone survivor, a young human Borg who looks to be like in his late teens, early twenties. Crusher works to save him, while Picard, who was up on the bridge and getting like the, the the live feed, tells to just kind of leave the Borg behind. Is he still traumatized from being assimilated that one time? Our survey says. Ding. When Wolf says they should just kill the Borg and just leave, Picard snaps out of it and has the Borg beamed up into the brig. Crusher saves the Borg, while Troy privately asks Picard, Hey bruh, you still traumatized from being the cutes a Borg and helping kill all those people, and do you really want to talk about it? Picard, who is one step away from having a noticeable facial tick, and two steps away from bleeding visibly from the eyeballs, brushes off Troy with a, Nah fam. We could. Look, it's the 24th century. We have yet to rediscover man pain. Troy saves, no, sorry, Crusher saves the Borg, who is up and about, but it's cut off from connecting to any of the the ship's systems. Picard asks Geordi if there's any way they can use the captive Borg to create a virus that they can program into the Borg's implants that can potentially spread to and destroy the Borg collective. If you thought this episode was gonna have uh, Jean-Luc Picard si- sign off on doing a genocide in the first ten minutes, well, you'd be surprised. Crusher is appalled by everyone treating the Borg as a disease instead of a race of beings, but she has no choice but to help. Uh, she and Geordie study the Borg, who introduces himself as Free of five. Crusher, who feels that the Borg is cut off from the Collective, is almost scared to be alone. Uh, during Geordie and crushes tests, they give 3 of 5 the name Hugh. A fine Welsh name. But now Geordie's son has second thoughts in this whole uh virusy genocide thing, and decides to talk about it to the one person who has even less chill where the Borg are concerned, and that's Gynan, the ship's barkeep. Gynan snaps at Geordie for treating Hugh as a person, but Geordie tells her that maybe she should actually, you know, listen to Hugh herself. Meanwhile, They've detected that a Borg cube's approaching, and is currently 30 hours away. Ticking clock has been set! Hooray! Hooray! Guinan goes to see Hugh, telling him that Resistance isn't futile, even if doing so has destroyed her entire species, has almost pretty much destroyed her entire species. Hugh is able to see that Guinan is lonely, just like her, and that rattles Guinan. Geordie and Hugh are discussing why humans wouldn't wish to be assimilated, and... Jordi is able to make understand that humans exist as a form of collective, but it's it's one of of friendship, and not just like uh, a cold machine mind. And Hugh understands and calls Jordi his friend. Jordi has now finished the plans for the let's be honest genocide violence, but he he now realizes that he kind of doesn't want to do this. Um, Hugh Hugh's a person. He doesn't want to kill Hugh like this. Picard tells off Jordi for treating the Borg as a threat, as a pet, and not the greatest threat to the Federation, and tells Geordie, look, mate, we've got a schedule. I, I want this genocide virus signed off on. Guinan comes to Borg and says, look, I get it. But I I after speaking to it, I, I think I get what Geordie's saying. You should actually talk to Hugh yourself and stop having other people do the dirty work. Following Guinan's advice, uh, Picard has Hugh t- transported into his ready room and Hugh recognises and addresses Picard as Locutus. Picard starts playing along, telling Hugh that together, and, H- Locutus and Hugh can work to assimilate the Enterprise together and Hugh tells Picard that he doesn't want to. The, the people here don't want to be assimilated. Geordie doesn't want to be assimilated. And finally, Hugh tells Picard that I don't want them. To be assimilated Hugh the Borg Don't refer to themselves as I Hugh has learned individuality And Picard has realised Oh shit I actually might be the bad guy this episode Oh
0: the Borg have arrived (laughs) (laughs) Oh no Oh no Oh dear We've not even got the fine china out Yep Okay
1: Uh, Have you started the stopwatch
0: Yes Yes
1: Okay, so, genocidal virus plan, off the table. But what do we do with Hugh? Because the Borg will want him back. They're willing to offer him asylum, but Hugh would rather return to the Collective and protect his friends, even if doing so means that he will probably lose his memory and individuality when he is reconnected to the Collective. There is the possibility, though, that Hugh's memories will create a singularity in the Borg Collective that might actually affect their nature and teach them individuality. And that's, that's a chance they have to take. Geordie beams down to the surface with Hugh so he won't be alone before his rescue. The Enterprise hides from a nearby in a nearby sun so they won't get picked up by the cube. Some Borg arrive and they take Hugh back, linking with him. And it looks like, for a moment, that the fears that Hugh's memory would be wiped away were true. But before the Borg beam away, Jory sees Hugh take one last glance at his friend and a final nod farewell. Hugh lives on in some form in 3 or 5.
0: Oh, that's one minute and 11 seconds. Exactly. So, Miles. Charlie. Did you ever take in, like, a stray pet at any point, or a stray animal? Um...
1: Once in my apartment building, we found a cat had been left, a, a cat just wandering the corridors, and we didn't know whose cat it was. Mm. And it, it turned out to be a downstairs neighbour uh, who had, it's been let out by her jerk of a son. And so um, we tried bringing it in, um, and our two cats, Sid and Willie, did not take kindly to having this uh, this new guest. So we had to... We had to leave it back out in the corridor, but we just had to we just left the bowl out so it could just have food and water.
0: I see. Yes, we never did, but we took in my dad loved having like neighbour cats visit. Um, to the point where he had to kind of he wasn't quite feeding them, but would definitely play with them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It felt an awful lot at times like Hugh was being treated in that kind of Oh oh look, oh he's eating oh huh? kind of way um by LaForge early on with it. Well, the fortune crusher. Yeah. Yeah. I I did like though that um that Guinan was able to be more than just wise with this. For yeah, she changes her decision, like it's like, oh no, actually, yeah, this this is someone that can be an individual and can be a person. But at first, of her being like, "Yeah, no, you're coming to me for wisdom," I say, "Fucking kill it." Yeah, um, that was jarring, but in a good way.
1: I I like the fact that Picard is kind of the bad guy of this app. Ep- is like is the bad guy of the episode. It definitely feels like a, a for, for this era of Star Trek, it feels like a, a a pretty brave decision for the writers to take by having your main. Given that the one the big. Things about this era of Star Trek was Roddenberry's insistence that humans can't have conflict. The main character, the main cast, can't have con- interpersonal conflict because we're we're humans. We've gone beyond that, and you've got Picard just going,
0: "Well, why don't we just commit a genocide? It's fine. They're not people." <laughs> I like that we're far enough through and it's a big enough ensemble that you can go. This person, this protagonist normally, is going to be the baddie here, is going to be, like, because opinions and ideas and all of that are where a lot of the drama's born out, you know, so much of it is in meeting rooms and and things like that, rather than going, well, yeah, it's all, like, all punching all the time. So that you have people on opposing sides of the debate is great with this. And that, yeah, one person can learn to maybe empathise a bit Picard, who seemed oddly pro-animal experimentation at one point. Yeah, well th- this was the
1: 90s um, I think yes. this, is, this is how I'm, you know, this is 92 mm. so I think animal testing was frowned upon but it was still seen as um, cause I'm to remember, I'm trying, I can't remember, I'm that old when we had the really big controversy about animals being used in cosmetic testing yeah, and I feel this is round about the same time.
0: Probably, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's an odd comparison to see in in the distant future of of next generation. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah. I also found I don't know if you got this, but when Picard was playing as uh, Lacutus, again, even though, yeah, it was. <laughs> He was human. He gave a very good antagonistic vibe. I yeah. felt he'd make a wonderful number two in the oh. prisoner with that oh. kind of attitude.
1: Well, Ian McKellen, of course, famously played uh, number two in the AMC remake of the prisoner. God, I I forgot that exists. Which I I am gonna I am gonna say isn't great. But I give it credit for trying to do something different with the idea, Mm. instead of just trying to do and just trying to remake something from the sixties. Yeah. So even though it failed terribly, I I admired it. It actually tried. Yeah, fair enough. So Uh,
0: Hugh's hollow eye. Yeah, it looked like. Like, did you ever have the visionaries back in the day?
1: I, I was a, tra- I was a Transformers kid. I was gonna say, did it remind you of like the '90s hollow, hollow, co- hologram covers you had on? um... Look, okay, Fatal Attraction. Yep, for the X Men. Mm-hmm. I- I'm sure you have a few in a box somewhere, which had those the hologram like cover thingies.
0: Yeah, they were weird. They were like, they looked like trading cards. And depending on the printing of the book, they were slightly different colours as well. Uh, Because there were multiple printings as Fatal Attractions, especially the big ones, were like, hey, this is a big event. And they didn't all match up with who was in the book or anything, but it was all 3D, that kind of silvery yeah. kind of thing um i had a set of batman trading cards that had that same
1: sort nice. of thing around
0: like for batman forever sort of time <laughs> even though they were painted they were still very much of that of that era um and hell um one of the places i went to for the first ever cabin con with um with some friends to play board games was matlock bath and they have a hologram museum that that sounds awesome as fuck yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah so it definitely had that kind of vibe of like this guy's obviously fancy he's a, a a lead supporting kind of guy here because he's got the fancier eye thing like it's better than sticking a a torch that'd be on all the time i guess
1: yeah so what did you think of hugh himself and Jonathan Del Arco, the actor who was playing him.
0: He he was alright. He certainly got the, the Borgishness down. And this yeah. is our first time seeing a a Borg that isn't like just a drone or Locutus. So it's interesting seeing them try and figure out, okay, what is a Borg like as a person. Um, I didn't realise because I, I must have seen this when I was much much younger. Um, I'd only seen like CCG cards and images of Hugh, but he definitely feels young in this, yeah, which I expected.
1: I do remember watching this one when it was on when it was on BBC Two because mm. I remember I remember quite a lot of this. Like, I remember them fight. I remember, like, when they find the Borg on the planet, on like the ice planet, and the bit where uh, Picard pretends to be Lacutus. Mm. But no, okay. Quick sidebar the Borg that appear at the end. Did yep. you find that one's cables kind of gave him like a weird
0: 1920s kind of handlebar hipster mustache? Oh my god! I didn't notice, but I might have to go back and look, check for that because that does sound great.
1: Like, I don't. I think I'm one of the few people who kind of likes the the messier board designs of like the show, which hmm. are a lot cheaper than the kind of uh, corpse like First Contact kind of gray zombies with bits on, which they basically kind of become after First Contact.
0: Yeah, I um it's interesting where you see oh yeah these are people that have had bits hacked off and machines put on recently i've been catching up with the star wars comics and the dark droids and i've just got to a bit with some extremely gruesome like here are some star wars robots but this one's got human legs that it's grafted onto <laughs> Oh, like a kind of reverse cyborg situation <laughs> it's it's horrible but in in a really fun way I,
1: I i didn't i kind of stopped uh getting the star wars comic like early on in the, in that storyline i just love the part in episode two where like evil c3po is just asking luke yeah but can you feel the force in your robot hand
0: oh yeah yeah that's mm, sinister i thought you meant triple o who brilliantly has to buddy up with r2d2 at one point <laughs> And neither of them are happy about it. No, why should you be? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and continuing to canonise for R two D two has a filthy, filthy mouth.
1: R two D two, I think, is a Scot. Is like a very small Scotsman. <laughs> but this is not a R two D two has a filthy, filthy mouth podcast. This is um, this is a Star Trek podcast, and yeah, I. So it's kind of nice to see Whoopi Goldberg have like a substantial role in whenever whenever we see her as Guinan.
0: Yeah, yeah, we saw her um recently in in what felt like a fairly fairly better kind of expanded role. So yeah, it's been nice seeing a bit more of her.
1: I, I still say, like Whoopi Goldberg at, at that point, like in like the 90s, I think she would have been a great Doctor
0: Who. Actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, this was this was a nice, fun, Borg-y episode. Um, even though we didn't get any kind of cube action, aside from ominously in the background, they, hmm. it felt like they were used sparingly. And, yeah. you know, just going down to the planet and going, Oh, fuck, there's Borg corpses here. This isn't good.
1: <laughs> oh, look, this one's brain is sticking out. Oh, my God. Okay, I, I swear that was definitely cut out of the BBC 2 version. That sounds like a pre-watershed a necessary pre-watershed cut.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, understandable.
1: <laughs> Which was the point where just just his and goes that's his brain. That's disgusting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want that. I want that
1: so much. <laughs> Warf just accidentally steps in a bit of ball brain. It's like Commander. I appear to have stepped in some poo. Awesome brain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Riker's like, that's that's nice, Wolf. Good. You you know what to do. Sort it out yourself. I can't help you with this. Oh, I can't help
1: you with this. Do you know who actually I did like in this? Mm. Crusher. Yes. I, I I I like you know seeing her kind of just stand up to the captain and, and just be like the yeah, I don't care what you think. I am saving I am a doctor, I am saving this life. You know, you could take you could take a genocide or Wharf just shanking a guy while he's dying.
0: And so I-, I yeah, like I saw this with my lodger. He had a, a day off and we were both watching this kind of after I'd been out on the picket line. And um it was fascinating seeing it because he was a hundred percent on the Picard side. It was hmm. like, yeah, Crusher's just being obstructing here and stopping like you you need to kill it. like you have to kill it. It's hundred it's percent bad and all that. It's like, well, well the thing is they are Starfleet, they're supposed to try and figure out another way, a different They need to do a Starfleet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And,
1: and because a crusher did a Starfleet, they realized that you know that the Borg can learn individuality.
0: Yeah, I mean it takes them a long time before they start doing that like wholesale to a lot of Borg, but yeah. Um, we'll we'll get to that one we'll later. Get to that. So, big list. Yeah. So we have a big list of 90 Star Trek TV episodes and films going all the way from uh Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan in the number one spot around the middle We've got persistence of vision where Voyager gets all sorts of weird hallucinations, thanks to some kind of jerk in space. And finally at the bottom, we have lift us where suffering cannot reach from strange new worlds. And, um, yeah, we are still on our road to 100 things ranked, which, uh, we are almost at now. So where shall i bork go Ooh, okay like i like this is good i
1: don't think it's top 20 good oh no i, I definitely think it's in the. i i definitely think it's in the top top 30 okay. so like i i definitely think it's like in that pro, you know if we're on there uh, so like if we're on the way to 100 then I definitely think it's going to be in that 25 to 35 bracket.
0: Let's see. So 25 is elementary dear data with um, the Sherlock Holmes holodeck fun uh, going on there and uh, 35's discovery's pilot, the Vulcan hello and the battle at the binary stars. So you're saying somewhere between those.
1: Yeah.
0: Oddly enough, that is the only TNG in that, in that kind of tranche of them so yeah so i guess aiming around the middle is this better than two vix oh okay
1: both episodes deal with like a a moral quandary yeah where like you know where the captain is very willing to well in in eyeball gets the captain is very willing to indulge in mass genocide because he has some trauma and the captain willing to indulge in murder to get what to get what she wants.
0: Yeah, to get a uh, two lads back, and because let's face it, she met two Vix. She she realized he has bad vibes uh, and <laughs> needs to be gone.
1: So it it's um although it, it's kind of uh this this episode at least does have the ca- the other characters kind of grow to call Picard out on his attitude, whereas some. Um, in in Voyager, everyone just kind of awkwardly looks away. Like that one <laughs> that one member of staff you know is about to get fired in the next hour. Oh, and you're all just yes. kind of just kind of like, yeah, how's it go? How's it, how's it going, mate? Oh
0: god. You're dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's always sad when that happens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh I I liked Tuvix. I'm I will hmm. def- I will defend Tuvix as a purse as, as an episode whew, nearly nearly said Ooh. something I shouldn't
0: yeah. <laughs> nearly said something, something i shouldn't to
1: regret um so i i think this one i think this one is stronger okay if, if only bec- you know, if only because it doesn't feel as rushed like that was mm. my big like you know the big with Tuvix, the big question we had was well how do these guys like deal with having this horrendous thing. Oh, no, it'll be fine. We'll... Yeah, we'll, Fortnite's past. they love him now. Yeah. Whereas this, I feel while in a way it's very quick, the end, like, I feel like it has an ending where it feels like this is, is a good ending with, like, oh, maybe part of Hugh, of Hugh's individual, individuality still exists and maybe will go on to change, affect the collective.
0: Hmm. Okay. So yeah, above that we've got some hijinks with Spockamock with the, uh, the oh. body swap episode, which oh, that was that was a good fun time. That
1: that never stops being that never stops being fun. Um, mm. above that is um, TOS's oh, yeah. A Taste of Armageddon, which has the um the greatest the greatest alien security guard costumes when it looked like (laughs) Thunderbirds meets
0: McDonald's employees. Oh my God. Yeah. Up there in the hall of fame of terrible, terrible costumes.
1: And on, and like, I, I love a taste of Armageddon because Mm. as a, as a doctor who fan, I am a fan of any time our main characters go to some kind of distant alien slash colony planet find out something's terribly wrong, and then proceed to spend the next 45 minutes or four episodes, depending which show you're watching, of just dismantling the government of this planet from the top down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about Taste of Armageddon until seeing it there, and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, that was very good fun.
1: So I... And then after, after Tuvix, we do have tomorrow... And tomorrow and tomorrow. And I don't know. I I think above two I think above two VIX. Yeah? Yeah, I think that this is the new What the new 29. The new number the new 29. Yeah. Look, you know, given given how much um Star Trek tries and fails to do good hijinks episodes. Mm. I feel any time Star Trek pulls off hijinks successfully should always be celebrated and held in high regard because this isn't always the way with these boys from Starfleet. Alas, no. No. Um, Eventually we will have to watch the um, DS9 episode where Quark gets a sex change.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That keeps being held over as a threat. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> next up we have Star Trek Lower Decks, season two, episode eight, I excretus, which apparently means having separated or he who has separated.
1: Uh don't you think that's uh, I excretus, as in to excrete? I think so. I think it's excretus because it, it's it's a part it's a poop joke. Well, yeah. So I think it's ice cre- I think it's pronounced excretus. Maybe. I mean, I you d- you don't know. say when you go to the bathroom, are going to excrete? I mean, I don't say. Well, that may- I'm may- going maybe maybe they-, they-, they might do in moleskine, but not
0: in not in your neck of the woods. Not down <laughs> the level way. Wow. No, we just dig a hole. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, this episode I excretus aired. Thank you. Okay, aired on the 30th of September 2021. It was written by Anne Kim and directed by Kim Arndt. Um The UK number one hit was Nemesis of the Pod, Ed Sheeran with Shivers. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it, at least it's not his cod reggae. I'll say that. No. Like, he's trying something else. I don't care for it, but he's trying something.
1: Like, I'm just... I, I've I've had to spend like the last week having to explain to my wife why we despise Ed Sheeran. I mean, okay, he did do the one song for the last for like the last Pokemon game, which I'll <laughs> give him points. So like Rihanna will give him points for. That. I'm like, look, this guy's like, look. I'm like, look.
0: She, more she than
1: gets, that though. Yeah, she she said to me, "Look, you you, know, you you're just pretty afraid that you'll start to like him." Like, look, I'm forty. I'm having to deal with the fact that I'm starting to like Coldplay now. Um, oh, I am not willing to start
0: liking Ed Sheeran. He's more irritating than paper cuts. Wow. Um, and yeah, the US had the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber with Stay. And this one really just vanished from my mind for moments it was done. Although, the guy, the Kid Leroy looked like he was one of the Funny Games Boys. Just, I guess, a a Zoomer or Gen Alpha version of one of the guys from the film Funny Games.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, is that the weird German kind of home intruders will kill you film?
0: Yes, although an actor that was in Dawson's Creek and always looked like he was about to burst into tears was in the American adaptation of it.
1: James Van Der Beek was in the the American adaptation of Funny Games? I mean, that would be great. (laughs) Look look, I I have nothing bad Okay I have plenty of bad stuff about Dawson Leary But just (laughs) now Whenever I think about James Van Der Beek It's just just a crying Dawson gif Like if I ever met him I'll just probably see like a floating meme
0: Uh, see, uh, He always makes me think of The Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23 Television show Where he plays James Van Der Beek And is amazing he plays evil James Van Der Beek, right? Aha, huh 100... Well, more self-obsessed, drunk, terrible James Okay, Van
1: Beek. now now I want to see a um a spin-off show which has drunk, terrible James Van Der Beek in a flat share with
0: evil Will Wheaton from The Big Bang Theory. Uh, I mean, that'd have to be more acknowledgement of The Big Bang Theory and... Someone reminded me, Young Sheldon exists, and I I can't forgive them for that now.
1: Okay, what what is worse, Young Sheldon, or um the, the fact that the Bing Bag theory exists, or that Jeff Johns still has a career in comics?
0: I can take more more humor out of Jeff Johns' career, frankly. <laughs> anyway, right. uh, I believe I'm being timed this time for um yeah covering a lot of a lot of lower decks action.
1: Yup, and just remember, if you, you you know, you will you will fail. Oh, M- much like the much oh, like rough.
0: the no, <laughs> Why would you say
1: yeah? Because much like the episode of which you're about to talk about, you are
0: being set up to fail. Oh no! Your three minutes begins now okay so the lower decks guys are a bit upset about the seniors uh at the senior staff after having been abandoned in space for six hours oops shani yun yam an adjudicator shows up to test everyone with a series of mandatory drills she's from a weird three-part race not like triplicate girl like i know you're thinking but more like arm fall off boy in his later appearances in the legion of superheroes as a character splitter and she's got a twist to these drills the upper and lower decks people will swap places oh yes and then they're fed into tiny hog holodeck booths mariner is in a mirror universe uh, sorry, the Mirror Universe, where everyone's all weirdly sexually into torture. She hits shacks to blend in and salutes with the wrong arm, and a scheming Boimler discovers her presence. Test failed. Tendy has to do medical ethics and doesn't stab a fatally wounded Klingon to death in time. Test failed. Mariner tries once again and goes to the Ancient West in a weird kind of half built set but seems oddly familiar. She's stomped apart by an angry horse. Test failed. Rutherford has a whole good for many Star Trek II's type scenario, but when he tries using a boot to open a hazardous door, the ship blows up. Test failed. Right. Boimler is actually doing surprisingly well. He's in a Borg scenario, and he just needs to survive against the Borg. He modulates his phases until that doesn't work, and he flees using a vent he finds above a draw filled with Borg babies. You know the Borg babies. We all know them. He passes at 79% and insists on doing it again to get a better score, even if getting a lower one will fail him from it. So he rescues the Borg babies in attempt number two. Now it's 83%. Then he takes a bunch of Borg kidnappees with him and it's at 84%. And he's going to do it again. Mariner is doing yet another test and it's the naked time. Very, very the naked time. Mariner sees things that she cannot unsee and spaces herself rather than live with that. Test failed! Later... Mariner, Tendy, and Rutherford are enjoying the, the upper decks food, which is actually good, unlike theirs. They talk about their failures, all apart from Boimler, who's now up to 94% and still resetting it, trying to get 100% on it. The upper deck lot are kind of loving being in a weird hallway, having menial tasks to do, even if the replicators don't give them good food. Um, as they're nodding off, an alarm goes off. Oh no. They've got a, a special mission during a Klingon crisis. They need to stack some crates. Also, there's a queue and there's some gem Hadar and they fail. <laughs> oh, oh,
1: oh, 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 Charlie, you know what I'm going to say I... now. You, I'm going to say it. Test fail.
0: Oh, no. Right.
1: Okay. You, you've now lost your pesto privileges. No,
0: not pesto. <laughs> oh.
1: uh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Let's see how how long your failure will maintain. Okay. And
0: go. So, both groups get a joint exercise on the real bridge. They need to do uh, the stealing of a ship to save Spock, and their disagreements lead them to blowing up the ship before they even get out of a space dock. Well done. A record loss. Not even a failure. A DNF. Uh, At the bar, uh, Mariner and Freeman commiserate, but seeing all the ranks of... Like, all the people of all ranks comparing experiences. Was this for point? Was this for real team building? Was it one of those kind of tests? No. No, as it turns out, Shani and Yem laughs at them for thinking that. Uh, she actually wants to save her job and needed a really shit ship to fail uh, all the tests. And these guys, after abandoning a bunch of people for six hours in space, those were her choice. Uh, this was her choice. She's even been goosing for drills, apart from the horse bit. Uh, she can't fail for Cerritos yet, though, because Boimler is still at his test, and he's just 100%ed it when he gets a call from Mariner saying, you can't leave until you're done. He's going to have to somehow survive, and just the moment he does anything, that percentage dips. Uh, The Cerritos heads into a crystalline entity to show off teamwork and how cool the dangerous kind of stuff they do is. It freaks Shani out, while the rest of the crew, they're kind of used to this sort of thing. Uh, Boimler has a rough time both tanking his score and getting captured by the Borg Queen, who wants to add his distinctiveness to the collective. Uh, The Cerritos heads it towards a black hole, and Shani gives up. She'll give him a passing grade as long as they stop doing dangerous things. That's great, but in the drill, it's too late for Boimler. He's been assimilated. He is now Excretus of Borg. Um, luckily, it is just a hologram, even though terrible, medical, terrible things have happened to him in there. He's dragged out and is lied to about having got his perfect score which actually sits at about eight percent now so finally the upper decks and the lower decks have seen what each other have to deal with and the upper decks actually upgrade for lower decks cruise replicators to give them good food including pesto
1: yay hey hooray for pesto hooray for pesto and hooray for two minutes and 36 seconds
0: wow yeah yeah, that was a lot. Like I knew I wanted to recap the uh, all the different tests and exercises I <laughs> did. They were very good fun. And now yep. I've seen more actual, more Star Trek that I haven't seen, like the original series, actually getting references like the half-built Wild West set. Magnificent. Love
1: it. I, I th- There's every so often when I, because this is the one I watch with my wife, um, every so often, there'll be a reference I get, which she won't, and I'll kind of have to I'll be laughing kind of hysterically. And I think for this episode, it was a line with the line where the Klingon says, I broke my back trying to pick up a peanut.
0: <laughs> yes, God, yeah. <laughs> that would be an embarrassing way to go as a Klingon. <laughs> and yeah, the worst thing is, it's going to happen. Like, there there are going to be workplace incidents like that that are embarrassing and fatal, and you just have to hope. You've got a doctor who's a professional and will stab you to death like you want. So, Charlie. Yes.
1: What might be the worst workplace incident you have been involved in that you can mention legally? Oh.
0: Okay. Uh, Working at the comic shop, the front ceiling fell in at one point. Um, yeah, it turned out all of the upstairs was kind of random debris, at least a couple of dead seagulls and an overflowing toilet. <laughs> the thing is, we were professionals and we turned it into a water feature of <laughs> <laughs> the, the window display at the front briefly. So yeah, we did sort it out the moment we heard about that, but I got some ceiling on me and <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that happen before. How about you?
1: <laughs> I once gave a, co- a co-worker a concussion with a pound bag of coffee.
0: I know we've been doing this a little while. I vaguely remember you saying about giving someone a concussion. <laughs> yes. Uh, is this the only concussion you've given? Because you, having worked there for a, a little while, I assume you've seen many, many horrors.
1: I let's see. I've seen it's coffee, so I've seen burns. I have seen. I've seen things. I've seen things I can't talk, I can't, I don't want to talk about on this podcast because it'll, it'll bring the tone down. Wow. But yeah, I once gave a a co-worker a concussion with a pound, by throwing a pound bag of coffee and it connected with their head.
0: Ouch. Um, (laughs) yeah, so I didn't notice during the episode but, um, yeah, that is the original, like, OG Borg Queen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alice Krieg. Yeah, I'm never sure whether that's a hard or soft G. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun little kind of cameo, along with all of those bizarre scenarios where, I guess, like, we, I was down on the Lower Decks people, constantly referencing previous episodes of Star Trek, but I guess you've got all of these kind of tests and things in the banks from all of their logs of like, oh yeah, so Kirk did this thing, and now that'll be a training scenario, because who's been in a spooky castle in space before? Or a half-built Wild West set? Like, yeah. So, like, those tests, I know I know they'd been goosed with a bit, but they felt so exacting in what they wanted. I, I've got to assume the kind of, you didn't go on a horse, your percentage goes down kind of thing. Like, I've been, I've done those kind of tests where it feels like you've coughed slightly to the right. Now you've been marked down. But yeah, I can only assume this is Shani's like, vindictiveness at play because Starfleet loves when you improv.
1: So at no point during a test of two naked people has one guy riding the other like a horse and then both naked while one spanks the other screaming, I don't know where you end and I begin. <laughs> you, never had, you never had that
0: on a test? Oddly, no. no. No, I've not had that kind of test, but I realize um I've been trying to find a good... A good addition to doing uh, an episode with The Naked Now, The Naked Time. And I've missed a trick with this one now.
1: Yeah. Oh, well. But on the plus side, we got Borg babies.
0: We did get Borg babies. Oh.
1: I, 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 I missed the Borg babies. Again, That I just kind of, I miss some of the weirder, earlier, ele- early installment weirdness of the Borg, like Borg babies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're weird. Because, yeah, most Borg we meet that have an attitude or an opinion are ones who have been assimilated, even if Mm. they were assimilated young. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what happens to the Borg babies. Like, if they can get rehabilitated, what's life for them? You know, that's got to be really weird. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, luckily, these are hologram Borg babies, but there are real Borg babies out there. Yeah. Now we're just saying Borg
1: babies. Borg babies. Okay, so I have a I have a question which might lower the tone, which I came to mind while watching this. Hmm. Given that we're both fans of Grant Morrison. Yes. Do you think that in the world in the in the far future of Star Trek, um people use the holodeck to live out Borg assimilation
0: fetish lifestyle? in that free time. I mean, infinite diversity and infinite combinations and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, so, oh, there's got to be some weird, like, yes, fling me in the nebula. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to feel death like this. Because clearly,
1: Boimler gets assimilated in the holodeck. Yeah. To the point where he is a uh, fully assimilated, but is fine when the program
0: ends. Yeah, you you feel that would disregard holodeck safeties. It's weird that I'm not quite sure how that would work as far as the mental tuning, because mm. yeah, like they hack bits off and they put things in, and all of that. And how would the holodeck replicate that to such a level that you would be? I am. I am excretus of Borg.
1: The thing we've we've learnt about the holodeck after so many episodes of this show that the holodeck is the most dangerous place to be in Star Trek. Yeah, because those safeties will break.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, where yes. I'm at in my X Men reading marathon, I'm just at the danger dangerous arc where um, their holodeck, the Danger Room, has turned out to have been sentient all along and is murdering people. And, Be- yeah, because... again, you get that kind of, oh, oh, dear, yeah, but it's convincing a kid to throw himself yeah. off a VR cliff. And in that instance, it is real.
1: So, so it's just like, I, I noticed one of those cases of, okay, rule of funny. Yeah, yeah. But it's just kind of like, I don't, you know, I don't think the holodeck can do that. No. Because you're still meat.
0: Has he just been gaslighted into it by them, by them? Maybe. You know, he's had enough things probed into him that he's in a state of shock and is just yeah. like, right, I guess I guess this is my life now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, apart from that, like, it's, it's a fun episode.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> those, right. Those, those damn packing crates. Oh, I loved the packing crates. I loved the, uh, each of those little vignettes in the um in the tests for drills for everyone um yeah it it was a good laugh yeah our next test is where we put this on our big old list okay yeah so trying to have a look for our our highest lower decks god we've not done much lower decks actually our highest lower decks is in position number 40 with Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, and it's definitely not as good as the Jeffrey Combs bot.
1: Damn. Like, yeah, like you said. um, We've still done more lower decks, and we have done a Prodigy.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, now we can actually see Prodigy. That's going to have to get uh, rectified. All right. Um, okay. Yeah, so... And it's probably better than the least dangerous game, as far as yeah. the lower decks is.
1: Okay, so I'm looking at Persistence of Vision, mm. uh, where a space jerk makes, ma- makes the crew hallucinate, because two spots up yep. is the Stars at Nights, where Shaq, the, the season three finale, where Shaq has his second best day. Of course. And finally gets to eject the warp core, which is, you know, 10 out of 10, no notes. Well done, Shax. so Well done, Shaqs, you did it. You did it, you magnificent crazy bastard! Mm. And so, I am looking at persistence of vision, and above that is data law.
0: So I think it's better than persistence of vision, which was good fun, but it had more promise than execution. Yeah, uh, where this it was, it had nice, simple idea. It didn't do some amazing things, but it did some fun things. Yeah. So I think definitely above that, which then I guess brings us back to crystalline entities. Is this better or worse than uh, the OG crystalline entity? Laws, mate. Data law. Um, hmm. What do you think? Me? I mean, I think think data law is probably deserving of being higher because it's the introduction of law. It's, you know, like... Again, while this has some fun moments, uh, Data Law feels a bit more important important as a unit of track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, okay, then i uh, I agree. Cool. So that puts it at forty six, just under the halfway point. But you know, this is a this is a a fairly top heavy list. Fear for our futures. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. And so
1: we return for our last episode, Picard. Yep. Yeah, <sighs> you've got the short straw this time. Tell you what, you mess your home you get your homework one wrong one time.
0: <laughs> Picard has so many boggy episodes that it's quite easy to to find some. And this time we're doing a kind of Continuation of the vague hue theme almost mm. with the card season one, episode six, titled The Impossible Box. It aired on the 27th of February 2020. It was written by Nick Zayas and uh, directed by Maya Viavello. And the UK number one S- hit. S- sorry, oh, oh, yeah. uh, what was the episode title again? The Impossible Box.
1: That's what she said. It, oh. hmm. <laughs> it's 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 a that's a slang term.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. Dealt with much rejection then. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, the UK number one hit was Billie Eilish with "No Time to Die." I'm I'm generally fairly pro Billie Eilish.
1: I but... I, I, I have some of her albums. I honestly I I know sometimes when it comes to the modern stuff, like we said, we do tend to go into kind of. Tired old men who are just like I used to be with it, but then they change what it is. And now nah, I, I, I like Billie Eilish, and I like this song, although as a Bond song, and this mm. is a Bond song.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I don't know if this is what I expected or wanted from either a Billie Eilish song or a James Bond song. Really. I,
1: I've not seen no time to die. So I don't know how the song works with the visuals or the story. Um, um, I don't like James Bond, which gets really awkward. Um, when I live in a country where everyone assumes that you like that, if you're, if you're an English person living in the States that you like James Bond and proper football, and the trouble is I get random people asking about James Bond or talking about, about James Bond and I have to immediately go, I'm sorry, I think James Bond is a piece of imperialist propaganda and I am a po- I hate James Bond on moral and political values than just I don't like the films or the character or the books, which yeah, anyway. I do always find the Bond songs interesting because I find them in like an interesting snapshot into like the music of the year that film came out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, it's no a view to a kill, is it?
1: It's, it's no live and let die,
0: which is the best Bond song. Oh God. I mean, that era had some very fun songs. Like. Uh, yeah. I mean, this isn't as dirty as Sam Smith's, which I think we've had on a previous casual track as well. But yeah, it's,
1: it at least, look, it's like, it's, it's better than Die Another
0: Day by Madonna, which, yeah, yeah.
1: but at the end of the day, it's no, nobody does it better. The yeah, song, yeah. which was like brilliantly um, portrayed by Alan of Partridge <laughs> in an episode where he recounts the, um, the opening to The Spy Who Loved Me.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's no, the world is not enough. If we know vaguely modern ones. But yes, it's,
1: and... it's it's no, you know my name, by Chris Cornell, which is a banger. I think is a, for Casino Royale, which I think is a banger.
0: So yeah, and the US had Roddy Rich with the Box, and um, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah,
1: fine. Yeah, I it's, guess it's, it's it's rap. It's it, it's this kind of era of rap. It's it's fine. It's not for me.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm sure there's a different song called The Box, which I was trying to think of and then had to listen to this. That's it. Orbital did The Box, which, yeah, I had bits of in my head. And then, yeah, this very much wasn't that. Anyway, it's time to open the impossible box. Um, Engage. Okay, so so Soji...
1: is a synthetic who thinks she's a real she who thinks she's a real woman. Uh Narek is a sexy Romulan spy who looks kinda like evil Goth Merlin from the TV show Merlin. Um Narek has a sister, Nerissa, who he has this kind of creepy pseudo-incestuous relationship with. Um Jurati, who is a cybernetic specialist killed Bruce Maddox and she feels bad about it. Rios likes soccer and Jurati. Picard like um not Picard is looking for Soji. Picard has issues. Meanwhile, Raffi likes drugs and her son. Her son basically cut all ties, so she's going all in on the drugs thing. In his quest to find Soji, Picard realizes that he has to go to something called the Artifact, which is a Borg, a recovered Borg cube, which is part of something called the Borg Reclamation Project. Uh, Picard's not, you know, Picard's, Picard's doing better with the whole Borg thing, but still like, he, he's doing better than he was in First Contact, where he was not taking any of this well. But to To get to the Borg cube, he is going to need, like, a diplomatic pass from Starfleet, and Starfleet isn't giving those out. Um, Raffi um, has a contact who she's dragged half-drunk to, to talk to, and Raffi basically gets Picard what he wants, but loses... One of her few remaining friendships to do so, and Picard's response is to give her a round of applause for doing this. Sometimes we have to remember, John Luke Picard might be kind of a dick. Oh, yeah, and also there's Elnor. He's an elf ranger, and that's it. Um, Soji is having troubling dreams, and Neric, oh my god, just that name Neric, thinks that might be a side effect of the fact that her human personality is conflicted with the fact that she's actually a synthetic and is subconsciously dealing with this. And he's helping her to work out that she might actually not entirely be human. Nerissa is just like, hey, you know, we could just kind of kill her. And Nerik's like, no, no, no. I know you're jealous that Soji's getting a slice of Nerik, but you got to let me handle this in my own way. Picard beams onto the Borg cube and telling everyone nope you have to stay here only I can go alone ends up in one of those kind of gantries with a lot of Borg recharge cubicles and immediately starts having a panic attack about being on here a bunch of Borg come to grab him and as he's about to fall and then a voice says hey they're just trying to help you and it's it's you. And he's he's looking a lot less borgy. Um he's clearly got a whole bunch of scars and implants, but he's looking a lot better than these up uh, than these guys who just caught Picard, who, who who look rough. It turns out the Borg Reclamation Project is basically um They've taken all these Xborgs who refer to themselves as X-Bs, they're removing all the implants, they're trying to heal the very extensive scars some of these people have, and just trying to help them reclaim humanity and just kind of get them to reclaim society. And Picard realizes that this is how that this is help that this could help the Borg be seen not as a threat, but as trauma survivors, as people who had this done to them, and that it could... It gives them... It gives them a sense of hope that maybe, like, the Borg can reclaim the humanity that was taken from them. And this hope lasts about five minutes, because, um... Nerik, in helping Soji to realize that she's a synthetic, stuck her in a Romulan murder cube, murder meditation cube, and then lets off a poison gas pellet. I've had worse dates, honestly. Um, At that point, Soji's self-defense sim- uh, synthetic programming kicks in, and she just bursts out of the cube and starts, like, breaking out of the ship.
0: Oh. Oh, dear. Wow. That's, that's five... And yeah, my phone sliding out of its case because it's that broken. What? Uh, but... okay, and continue.
1: Uh, Hugh has dedicated himself to helping Picard just get what he needs because Picard helped him long ago, minus the genocide. And he he, he help he he wants to help Picard. And they find Soji and Soji, and Picard begs for Soji to come with him and Soji will come with him, and Hugh goes, hang on, I know a way we can get out, and takes them through the depths of the Borg cube to a very powerful teleport portal that the Borg got on when they assimilated the previous civilization. Um, some Romulans come and attack them, and then Elnor jumps out of the ceiling and kills these guys. Uh, turns out Elnor like, came on board to help, because despite everything Picard told him, he's still gonna do it anyway.
0: I assume um, he took a level or two of Rogue for the sneak took attack. a level
1: or two, yep. Yeah. Um, he has a sword. Elnor is gonna stay with Hugh, despite the fact that Picard's like, no, no, you don't have to say you don't have, you can come with me, you don't have to save me and do, like, the whole kind of Aragorn Boromir kind of noble last stand kind of thing, and Elnor's like, it's like, dude, Picard, it's okay, me and Hugh, we've got this, and Hugh's was like, we, "We do," and Hugh and Elnor was like, "We do, we do." Just get through the portal, and so Picard and Soji teleport through the, the portal to the planet Nepenthe, while Hugh and Elnor remain to cut to to reconceal the portal and to hold off the Romulans that are approaching. And Eln as as we go to credits, Elnor tells the
0: Romulans, guys. Choose to live Wow well, that's one minute And 49 seconds
1: You can tell which one of these episodes I really Wanted to cover uh, this, You know talk about in detail And I've noticed with Picard it's just kind of like Yeah this stuff happens
0: Credits mm. It's been difficult with um, For musical episode I got excited thinking oh it's a heist But it's only kind of half a heist and similarly in here, you've got so, oh, yeah, you've got all of these dramatic scenes and and oh, oh, and it's ended already. And, you know, it's it's very decompressed kind of time. And yeah, and then you get things like Elnor, who I, I reckon he has seen three movies in his life. And that is Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers and Return of <laughs> the King. and That's literally it.
1: I don't know. I I think he has probably seen the um the Ralph Bakshi animated version of Lord of the Rings. Oh. Uh, has seen a version of the Free Musketeers, because I, mem- I think in one of the earlier episodes we had a flashback where Picard gave him some Dumas, but he didn't see the one with Michael York and Christopher Lee and Spike Milligan in a cameo. He saw the 90s Free Musketeers- Oh, with, no, uh, Chris, with one of the Chris, worst ones with Chris O'Donnell, or maybe the weird steampunk one that Guy Ritchie did a few years ago. I remember.
0: No, that was um thingy Resident Evil guy. Um, oh,
1: Paul Anderson,
0: yeah, yeah, because Mila Jovovich was Milady in it, of course, she was, of course, she was,
1: yeah, or alternatively, uh, the Free Musketeers BBC TV series where. Peter Capaldi famously played Cardinal Richelieu for the first season and then left to go and appear in some uh, Saturday afternoon TV show called Doctor Who. Huh. Or maybe he just watched a lot of critical role.
0: Maybe, yeah. Yeah, Elnor still feels tone. I know there are other Romulans in this episode, uh, let alone in the season, but he still feels tonally different. To all, to the entirety of the show and his species,
1: I, I think it feels like um, I'm sure you've had this happen as like a, a role, uh, as a gamer, like you're you're trying you're like you're doing like I don't know rifts or like a very kind of sci-fi heavy setting, but you have that one guy who desperately wants to be Legolas, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it, Legolas doesn't fit with with the rest of the dynamic. And he feels like he's just trying to shoehorn himself in. So in gaming terms, it's just like, um, yeah, uh, Picard and Hugh have been cornered by Romulans. And the guy playing Elnor is just like, and I jump in
0: from nowhere. With my blades. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had players who, you know, even players that I like, who seem to always play like an elf ranger in everything. So when we did a spy game, it's so, like, okay, I'm an uncannily nimble sniper who's gonna hide back and jump out of a tree and do a snipey shot. So yes, of course you are. Of course okay. you are. Of course. Good work. Um, yeah, I mean uh, the good news is there's other stuff and just him. It's just distracting. Uh, I loved <laughs> reunion with Hugh, but there's one one thing, one criticism that I've got of it. Okay. Never fucking mentions Geordie or beverly like no, I... we we've, we've literally seen for this episode how picard was with him which was not there a lot and <laughs> wanting to use him as a tool for genocide if not just kill him until he until he actually grew some empathy and of course because this is picard this is kind of like you know raffi exaggerates but the oh yeah maverick rogue jl don't play by the rules yeah no one can keep him down he's gonna bust up everything because his his wild jl similarly he's also the most pivotal person in literally everyone's life so yeah it's nice seeing him and hugh reunite it's a shame that there wasn't eve even a, a glimpse of a so how's geordie you know? Yeah, how's how's, how's, how's Beverly? How's Worf? Ooh, that one's awkward. Unless, unless, they're in regular contact in correspondence. <laughs> you and Jordy, yeah, you know, he comes over from the museum, we chill, you know, I can't really say what we're doing, got to keep it on the DL a bit, but we hang out, like friends do, JL. That kind of thing
1: card is an irritating show. Anytime it's kind of gone, hey, maybe we could kind of progress the world of Star Trek, it immediately doubles back down. And so, like, you know, here we have, we have the Borg uh, being portrayed as, you know, a- assault victims. Like, they're people who have been heavily traumatized and gone through this horrendous experience. And we have these people who are trying to Like de a deprogram, you know, deprogram them. Like re, like rebuild their bodies to like what it should be before the Borg implants. And we know that at the end of season two, it's the Borg again. End of season three, it's the Borg again. They're the bad guys again. It just feels like they keep going back to. No, like (sighs) the thing I really liked about this was because it was. It was a new, it's a new potential direction for the Borg. It's like how when we had TNG, when TNG started, you have one of the big notable things was there's a Klingon on the bridge. Like the, the relationship between the Federation and the Klingons has changed to the point where the race who are once like our big enemies, our most iconic villains, we're allies with. And here with the Borg, it's just like here is um one of our most iconic villains of D of of TNG. Um, now we have them in Voyager. Like they are the big Trek villain of the '90s. In an age where you know where very much like they're a fear of computerization, technological like of subsuming humanity. How can we change it for the 21st century and have them just be these and? Alter it to you know that these are these are Borg who are seeking help who are who are re seeking individuality. They're a they're a community. They they have they're they're a cult they're you know they're a culture. How do these people? How will they rehabilitate into the wide into the wider galaxy where before even where even Picard, who should be most empathetic to them, will still see the Borg as a threat.
0: And then by season three, it's like oh, it's the Borg again. It doesn't matter. It's such a difficult thing because you've while well, you've got the same actor for Jean-Luc, you've got multiple different writers dealing with him in kind of from best of both worlds onwards, with Iborg and how he is kind of um not dealing with his baggage and his drama. You've got first contact where if anything it's kind of crystallized and made a lot worse, a lot angrier, even with him knowing about Hugh. And then you've got this, which I like the idea of the rehabilitation. It it falls into the same problem as um, the Riker guest star episode, where you just kind of want a nice time in a villa with, you know, the, the Rikers and Troys and, and just that. You don't want... A big MacGuffin type thing, and in this, similarly, if we saw the rehabilitation efforts and saw those Borg go into the wider world, that'd be fascinating to
1: see. Yeah, there's like a really good potential of an of an idea mm. to do something. Dare I say it, new with Star Trek? And yeah. I feel we're in this we're in this weird space for Star Trek, where it feels like. Anytime it's tried to do something different, they've had to, they've had to immediately kind of follow up by doing something very traditional. Yeah. And, and you know, everyone, you know, it has this kind of big thing about Star Trek, Ooh, Star Trek, let say, like, no, I want to see Star Trek, the next, next generation. Mm-hmm. I you know. Like this is the problem. I think even Star Trek had towards the end of like the, the whole kind of nineties era where enterprise was basically a let's kind of just go back to TOS, return to form. We'll, we'll try and just recapture that... Voyager kind of tries and fails to recapture that TNG lightning in a bottle. Let's have Enterprise try and recapture that kind of TOS-Kirk-Spot-McCoy dynamic, but sexier.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Like, with Picard it feels like there is that reset and that holding pattern. You know, um, there is a thing that happens at the end of Season 2 of Picard to some Borg, but it isn't all Borg. And, you know, as such, Season 3 gets, yeah, just gets Borg again. And it's it's kind of a shame because, yeah, we see some interesting things. Of course, it has to be stored in a facility with the most J.J. Abrams-ish name of The Artifact. The Artifact. The Artifact. And yes, even with all of this going on, there's the dubious, weird, incest Romulan siblings who, you know, again, with this show wanting to be prestige TV, wanting to be a prestige drama, more so even than Discovery. So, of course, it's got to have creepy incest twins because you know that they're evil Mm. Not just through their words and deeds, but also because they're, they're really unpleasantly touchy with each other. So, so okay, just, just to confirm, can mm-hmm. you see, like, evil Merlin
1: vibes from, like, did you ever see Merlin?
0: Uh, I think I saw the first episode.
1: Okay, because he just has, like, the, the actor, Colin, the actor who plays Nerick just kind of looks like an off-brand Colin Morgan
0: he oh, has um, a bit
1: more goth-ing.
0: so he plays Victor Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful, a, a wonderful TV series. But yeah, he's a lot more kind of buttoned up, he's a lot less kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm the hot boy uh Romulan kind of thing. In that, but yeah, he's very good fun as Frankenstein building things and people that uh. Don't appreciate him, mainly because he's terrible. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's a good laugh, but it was distracting seeing this after having beasted all of Penny Dreadful between watchings of this season. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's that, it is that difficult thing of there are some great Trek moments, but it still keeps falling short because of what they think we want. mm and and it just isn't um you know the weird romulan meditation kind of thing with their weird the cube room was fun and um yeah even soji realizing her mum isn't real like she has a call with her and it only lasts a bit over a minute and she keeps falling asleep each time because
1: And the the bit where she's like scanning all like all her photos and stuff, and they're just Mm -hmm. all like thirty seven months old. Yes, like there are. It's like there are good bits. Like I think that's the most annoying thing I could say about season one of Picard is that there's so many good bits, but for every one really good nugget of an idea, there's at least one and a half other stuff that don't land. Yes.
0: So having a look at our, our list, I, I've been hovering around the Prodigy episode, Let Sleeping Borg Lie, which is another episode that deals with the aftermath of everything going down with the Borg. But these ones were kind of just left floating in space. And, you know, you get some very nice horror and some, some fun Borgie moments, even though mm. it's in, you know, in the cartoon for children version of yeah um so yeah it's let's see the best picard we've got is in position number 62 with the first episode of season three of picard which it feels kind of trite to go that was the better season and it's certainly not without its faults but um yeah yeah at the same time understandably so (sighs) i I like, I. So I, I wouldn't put it above that.
1: No. Are we ever going to have an episode of Picard in like the top half of the show?
0: Mmm, that feels more questionable than Enterprise getting, uh, getting the top like 30. I don't, I don't know. I, I think
1: we have an ent- Like, Like, that's. Oh. No. No, we don't. It Highest was, Enterprise one... is
0: number. The the highest enterprise is 35. Yeah, it was almost at 30. I think it's 31, but has been pushed down a little. Yeah, I
1: hang on. Highest prodigy was let's sleep and ball lie.
0: Or at least for borgist prodigy was that. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I'm and honest, I think. Yeah, like Yeah. I I I, I gradually
1: had to have to agree because it's like it's it's a good idea, mm. but a good idea is not. There's not a classic episode of Star Trek. Make
0: no, no. I mean, Justice is a couple of places down at seventy six, and that has some really fun moments, but cannot be called a good episode. No. Um. Yeah, I mean, that said. So, first of all, I guess let's Sleeping Borg lie the zombie horror Borg prodigy <laughs> episode, better or worse than this
1: um mm, i might have to say i i might have to say worse
0: fair enough and then we've got our our favorite move along home uh,
1: i think move along home might be better for only because of alan moraine
0: yeah yeah again it's well yeah um oh. Alan Rain was very good fun. The whole situation was very daft in in a very good fun way. Actually, yeah, oddly comparable to the um uh the Lower Decks episode we covered, given the, the weird scenarios and tests. Yeah. It's just that one was was genuinely better. Okay, so that puts it at the new 74 um second highest episode. Of Picard on our list.
1: Oh god, oh Picard. Yeah Like there has to be like a there has to be a good episode of Picard or Enterprise which cracks into like a high amount. Hopefully. Hopefully. Because like I I really don't want to keep having to bash on Picard. No. It's just that Picard just makes it really easy to, distressingly so. Like I think other Picard episodes, I think might make it, might be that the third ep- the one that one episode of season three when they're trapped in the nebula, and mm. they all think they're gonna die and have to make peace with that. Yeah, and then that might be a, that might that might make it up there.
0: Um, yes. wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're currently 13% through all of Picard. (laughs) So, yes. Uh, Anyway, on that note, we are almost 100% through our episode. We've ranked three episodes of Star Trek. And, um, yeah, that's going to be it for us for a little bit, because the next time we're going to have a little bit of a break and talk about... uh, Franchise, which one of us here is very much not casual about, which is Doctor Who.
1: Hashtag Blake's Boys.
0: We're not talking about Blake Seven. <sighs> okay, fine. Yeah, I will walk. Um, <laughs> anyway, on that note, you can find us on Kofi. You can find us on the Nerd and Tive forums and on Blue Sky as Casual Trek uh miles where can the good folks find you
1: you can find me on my blog at mareidlobato.wordpress.com and for some reason i still have an active twitter uh,
0: twitter account i don't know why miles, miles don't do that to yourself you
1: and that. and yeah
0: wow um yeah And I'm found on Skyshark.itch.io for comic and RPG bits and FakesTales.com where I really need to finish my blogging of all of the 2023 role-playing games that I've read because we are now in February. Uh, Let's see if I can do that before this episode airs. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, with all that, uh, I guess, yeah. Go do a Starfleet.
1: Go go to a Starfleet and don't don't try and perpetuate a
0: genocide. Yeah, don't perpetuate a genocide and um, yeah, save a Borg Baby. And have a jelly baby.
1: <laughs> or teach a Borg baby to eat jelly babies. Yes.
0: <laughs> You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Labato. Music by Alfred Etheridge-Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network, and if you want to support us monetarily because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.